Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello and welcome to episode 818 with Scott Anthony Barlow. Scott is back because Scott is fantastic and one of my favorite humans, and he has got a boatload of insight. He has synthesized wisdom working with many, many people doing career changing and thinking, codifying that into a book. So much good stuff. You'll learn one, the massive costs of poor career fit. Two, why you shouldn't wait on clarity to act. And three, risk-free ways to get a feel for a career change. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we referenced, please drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP818. Now here's Scott's story. Scott Anthony Barlow wants you to find work you freaking love. He is CEO of Happen to Your Career and host of the Happen to Your Career podcast, which has been listened to over 3 million times across 159 countries and is the largest career change podcast in the world. As a former HR leader, Scott has interviewed over 2,000 people for jobs and completely rejects the way most organizations choose to do work. He's a nerd for self-development, human behavior, and ice hockey. Scott lives in Washington State with his wife and three kids. Big thanks to Scott for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Scott. Scott, welcome back to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Thank you very, very much. I am quite excited to be back. Well, I'm excited to have you as well. And so now, Scott, we've, we've had a lot of conversations that uh, were not recorded, uh, maybe for the best. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> and one thing that I know about you is you are hardcore and inspiring when it comes to your goal setting and you even have a nifty family goal setting approach that involves your kids and a fun environment. Tell us the story here. <laughs> well, here's the story. My wife and I have, we've set goals for probably approaching 15, maybe even approaching 20 years. I'm not even sure exactly where it started. I'd have to go back and do the calendar math, but all that to say, we've been doing that for ourselves over and over again. And, and actually it originally started when we were trying to pay off about almost $400,000 worth of debt. And so we had this initial goal. And so we started building skills around how to, how to set and accomplish goals in order to get that nearly $400,000 paid down. And we eventually did that. But then we realized, hey, this is actually working for us. So many years later, after we had children and after Alyssa and I had started trying to focus on how do we be great parents? What do we want to instill in our children? What do we want to teach them? And after we started having those kinds of conversations, we realized, hey, we're doing this thing over here and arguably we're, we're developed some skill at it, but we've taught our children almost nothing about that. Why is that? And that's where that question started. So we, we eventually said, well, what would this look like? What would this look like if we wanted to take what we've learned about goal setting and accomplishing some seemingly impossible things? And then how do we, how do we get our kids to want to do that? Because my kids now are teenagers. All of them are, are teenagers. And at the point in time where we started, started doing any kind of goal setting with the kids, they were, I think, nine and 11 and approaching teenage years. So they were at the ages where they don't necessarily want to do everything that we think is a great idea. 
So we said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do it in a crazy environment uh, that we wouldn't normally do something that seems so serious. And then we're just going to try and make it as fun as possible. So we said, what would that look like? Well, we had just ordered a new hot tub. So we said, okay, we're going to take the duck, the rubber duck that we got as a gift from the hot tub company. And we are going to do hot tub goal setting where we pass the duck around and we talk about each person who has the duck what they want to accomplish this year and what would be fun, what would be amazing, what would be uncomfortable, and talk through those types of questions. And that's how it began. And now it's turned into this regular thing where we meet each month in order to review how we're doing against our individual goals. And I think something that's really wonderful and personally inspiring to me, watching my kids go through and really take this and have fun with it and run with it, is that they've done some things where they said it initially and like, okay, so here my son, Grayson, my youngest said, I want to break a world record. And Alyssa and I did the thing that sometimes you do as a parent where you want to be supportive, mm-hmm. where we're like, okay, okay, <laughs> Grayson. All right. That sounds amazing. All right. Fantastic. Uh, where I'm thinking, okay, maybe we should have started with something else. And so both Alyssa and I were able to successfully, in that case, suspend our, our beliefs about that. And say, okay, well, how could you do that, Grayson? He eventually, over about a two-month period, ended up researching what type of record he might want to break, decided on video games. He decided, I want to be the first in the world to speedrun this particular game. Which one? Kirby, one of the Kirby games. It's the most recent one. And I, for some reason, it's totally escaping me what it's called. That's fine. Okay. So speedrun a Kirby game. All right. Yep. So he did that. And two months in, after he set the goal, he literally was the first person in the world to get this time on that particular Kirby game. So he has the screenshot to to prove it. It's like, it literally said, you've accomplished a world record. (laughs) (laughs) That's nice to hear. (laughs) Yeah, but here's the the thing about that. We started realizing that, wow, this this is incredibly powerful, not just for us, but even more so for our children, because both Alyssa and I, we really didn't honestly get into things like goal setting or really figuring out what it is that we wanted to do, wanted to accomplish, what type of life or you know, career do we want to live. And it's, it's quite powerful once you decide that you want to do something, figuring out the very best way that that can actually happen in reality. So Grayson literally broke a world record. That's so cool. That's so cool. And you have seen transformation with many people in your work, your organization and podcast happened to your career and now book happened to your career. And now book. Yes. Yeah. Transforming folks. And and you've seen a lot of folks set a career related goal and go get it. Can you maybe orient us, generally speaking, is what is it you do and know that's fresh and unique? I think that with the book. It was very much we wanted to be able to reach people a different way because really what we do as an organization is we are very focused on helping people find what their own personal version of extraordinary is. What does a wonderful fit look like for them as it relates to their career and ultimately their life? Because first and foremost, we can't really separate out many of the decisions that we make for our career. They have a tendency to be inseparable from the rest of our life. So if we keep that in mind, then that means that anything that uh, that we are defining as extraordinary for our career is absolutely going to impact all of the other areas of our life. So we get the opportunity every single day to be able to help people all over the world with defining what they want their life and career to look like, and then going and making that happen, going and getting it, this seemingly impossible thing, making that and turning that into their reality. And that's, that's what we do every single day, both Mm -hmm. with the book, as well as when we get to serve people as clients. That's really cool. And so I, I would love to get your take when it comes to people and their careers, just what is at stake for professionals if their career is a great fit versus a, Okay-ish fit. We all only have so much time on the planet, regardless of, of how you feel spiritually or what you believe. We only have so much time here. And I want to personally make sure that for me, 
my time is spent in a way that I am able to contribute to other people in the way that I want and serve other people the way that I want, but also building the type of life and career that I want to live. And I find that not everybody is looking at it that way necessarily. But the point that I would make is that if we're all, or at least most of us are going to spend arguably most of our waking hours doing some type of work, some type of service, if you will, then that means that we should probably find a way to do it in a way that is much more meaningful to both us plus the people that uh, that we get to work with, around, serve. And that's how I look at it. I look at it as a opportunity to be able to do life completely differently. Now, here's the sad reality. So although I can say that, and although I believe that, and I think a lot of people might agree with that, depending on which study, depending on which research you look at, it is someplace between half a percent and about 13% of people in the entire world that are just enamored with their work. And that is, that's dismal. When I look at that and say, almost nobody in the entire world is really enjoying their work and finding it fulfilling in the ways that are wonderful for them, then that's sad and that needs to change and that's not okay. Mm -hmm. And I know that you're referencing a, a particular part in the book when you say, what's at stake? We begin the first chapter and we tell a story of Michael. And in Michael's case, he was working for a pretty large studio, one that most most people have definitely heard of, a movie studio. And that particular studio, he had actually had a really pretty wonderful career up until the last three years that he was there. And he found himself in a new promotion, new situation that uh, what was once a dream job for him was no longer, it was no longer that dreamy. It was, it, it turned into a pretty terrible situation, one that was no longer a fit. And it became really bad, bad to the point in which Michael had considered self-harm, which is not a, not a thing to joke around, but we've had many stories like that. And in Michael's case, he realized that this was bad for his mental health. It was bad for his physical health. It was, it was ultimately just really a terrible fit for him. And by continuing to stay in that type of situation, he was possibly going to give up the opportunity to have any other type of life, let alone a life at all. And so this is a little bit of an extreme situation, but it happens much more frequently. What I've learned in working with, with people all over the world is this is something that happens pretty, pretty frequently where people's health is severely impacted by what most people would look at and say, that's an amazing job. That's an amazing opportunity from the outside looking in. And in Michael's case, here's the real thing that was at stake. If we fast forward about roughly a year to where Michael ended up making a career change, we got the opportunity to meet him and work with him. Alyssa, my wife and I, we had ended up actually meeting him in California and we met at this little, little diner down in Pacific Beach. And he was telling us as we were eating banana pancakes that it was first time in his life where he had considered that work could potentially be fun. Like that had never, ever even entered his mind. It like literally was not a, not a possibility for him. So we went from this situation where it started out is seemingly wonderful to him. He moved up the ladder really, really quickly and arguably was good in a lot of very challenging ways, but then it became not so good. And, uh, ultimately he didn't, he didn't realize that was a fun possibility that it like that. It was something that if he stayed in that situation, it could be not a possibility. I guess that's, that's the word I'm looking for. I'm, I'm looking for a way to even describe that, like what he was feeling and the emotions that he was going through at, at that particular time. But imagine that if, if he had stayed, he literally never would have found that. Yeah. So I think that's an example of what's at stake. Well, that's powerful. And, and an eye-opener that folks may be listening here is that, oh, fun. Huh? It's called work for a reason. It's a job. It's not play. And so that could be a light bulb for many. Like, oh yeah, some folks really do have fun at work. They find it meaningful, engaging, uh, life-giving, energizing. So some groovy stuff. And of course, I, I think it's also fair to say with realism that no job is 100% euphoric 100% of the time. Is that a fair statement? Yes, I do believe that that is a fair statement. 
And I'm curious your opinion on that because there's been many times where you and I have had pivots in how we we personally think about work. And I remember, you know, talking to you and even our group at one point in time where it's like, hey, I have checked the box and many of the things that I wanted to work in for a while. My role has changed and this was wonderful and it's it's no longer wonderful anymore. So I think that I, I point that out because even if there is a situation that is great, and even if it is a great fit, part of the challenge, part of the reason why figuring this career thing out, figuring out what extraordinary looks like is so challenging is because it's actually a moving target as we go through different seasons. Like you have mm-hmm. three kiddos now, right? That's right. Do you want the same things that you did <laughs> when it was 10 years ago with no kids? Yeah, I'm not quite as interested in as much travel and hustle. And it's like, oh, sweet. I've got 11 coaching sessions today. It's like, I would not find that sweet <laughs> if that were to happen to me tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. I think that's true for everyone. And I think that that's normal. The really interesting thing, the thing I find fascinating is that we have a tendency to beat up on ourselves in so many different ways. When that changes, we don't realize that our wants and needs have changed. And we're still trying to shove the, I don't know, square peg in a round hole, insert mm-hmm. your cliche here. We're still trying to do the thing. We're still trying to keep going. We're still trying to beat our head against the wall. And I don't really hear too many people talk about like, it's actually, it's okay to change. And it's part of the game, but simultaneously, that's part of what makes it challenging to figure mm-hmm. out what what a great situation, what an amazing situation, what we call the unicorn opportunity situation looks like for you. All right. Well, let's talk about figuring it out. Clarity. We all want it. How do we get it? Has anybody ever asked you for or said to you, hey, I'm looking for clarity in this particular area or that area? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So we get that all the time. And the really interesting thing I've found about clarity is that when we're asking for it, we're often looking at it as a destination. We're often looking at it as a, if I just figure out what it is that I want, then I can go and do the thing. Mm-hmm. However, when we look into even the origins of the word clarity, we find that it has many of the same root words as declare, the same root word, which mm. is clarier, right? And what that means when you start to break down the, the history and the evolution of that word is that it means to act or an action is required. The action of declaring, the action of uh, declaring something as a priority is really what leads to any kind of clarity. So, mm-hmm. so many of us think that we need to go and figure out the thing. We need to get all our ducks in a row. We need to go away and sit in the cabin for a month. And then we will emerge and we will have clarity and it'll be amazing. There'll be rainbows and butterflies. Mm-hmm. I've got a unicorn back here. It's going to be awesome. And that's not actually how it works as it turns out. Instead, what we find is actually true is that clarity comes from the simple act of declaring something as a priority for you, declaring something Hmm. as more important, which obviously takes courage. It takes courage to be able to say, my wife is more important than all of these other things. I think many of us would say that, but very few of us, uh, I find, are willing to act on that in a way that takes courage. So I'll give you a quick example from my past. My, I, I now, if... Like if my wife calls me right now, I am literally going to pick up the phone. However, you know, there she is right there on the phone. Not Mm -hmm. everybody can see that. But if she calls right now, I'm going to pick that up because she is the most important thing in my world. Is that weird? As in, you know, socially kind of unacceptable? I would, I would say so. Yeah. Probably. I'm going to light you up. (laughs) Yeah. Like, (laughs) well, I wouldn't because we're pals. (laughs) It's a good thing we know each other. Some other, other people would say, what the heck, dude? Yeah. Seriously? And (laughs) that feels, honestly, when that happens, very uncomfortable for me. Mm -hmm. Also, if I'm going to behave like my wife is the most important thing in the world to me, then I should treat it as such. So that's a really small example. But that think about what goes into that. I have to think through, first of all, what is most important to me? Mm -hmm. And then I have to consciously make the decision 
that that is in fact the most important thing. In this case, the most important person, uh, my wife. And then I have to be able to commit to that in a way that uh, allows me to act as such. And that's part of what we're talking about when we when we say, you know, what does it take to get to clarity? Clarity allows you to be able to act, not action before clarity. Most of us think that we're going to we're going to get clarity and then we're going to go do the thing. But instead, it happens exactly the opposite way. I'm going to declare what's most important, and then that allows me to be able to make movement on whatever that most important thing is. Mm-hmm. So it is literally the opposite of how almost everybody in the world thinks about it. And when it comes to doing that declaring and then living as such in harmony, in integrity with those declarations, might you discover through a little bit of trial and error that what you declared was actually not the most important thing to you. It's like, huh, actually, now that I'm in, in it, I'm realizing, <laughs> not that this would be the case with your wife, <laughs> I'm realizing <laughs> yeah, that this is not as important to me as perhaps I thought it should be or is or once was. Things have evolved. Yeah. Short answer is yes. Mm-hmm. I have many examples of that, but I'm curious, have you had that experience in the past? Have you gone through and realized that, hey, this thing that I thought that was most important in one way or another, one area of life or another, is actually less important than what I think? What, what are some of your examples? What are the Pete examples? Well, sure. And I think that that has come about, in ter- well, it's so funny, just about like being awesome at your job. Yeah. Like, I think that, so I have a whole show on this. So I think that's pretty <laughs> important, but I, I don't believe that's the number one most important thing in life. And so it's funny when I, when I think about other podcasts, I think that I would say there's sort of like a, a pecking order or hierarchy that I would rather folks listen to my show than like true crime or sports or news, like for their own edification. I think we're going to do more of that for you than those things. But if someone is listening to a show about how to be more kind or spiritual or healthy or solving like a a really challenging thing that makes their life and others miserable. I would rather you spend your your time listening to that because I think that is more important than being awesome at your job. And in fact, many of our guests do have a bit of a mental health slant because there's there's a real rich carryover in terms of if you're mentally healthy, then you're making better decisions and you're energized and you're able to bring good effort to stuff. And so th- there's like a yin gang, like a reinforcing virtuous cycle thingy going down here. So I don't think it's either or. But, but I would say that, for example, I used to think, I don't know if you remember the show Boy Meets World. <laughs> I do. I do. Okay. I'm about to drop a spoiler here. Oh, dear. <laughs> But when Topanga gives up, I think it was Harvard or, 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 or Top Dream School to go be with Corey, and I thought that was so dumb. I thought that was a horrible decision. I was like, "You're young. What do you even know about love?" Like, and I guess I'm. I think I'm high school, college age too. When when this comes about, and I just thought that was bananas because at that time in my life, career uh, really was sort of number one. I had a hard time, and I hadn't been in a relationship that serious, I suppose, as to make me think that I would give up such a career opportunity for a person. So that was me then. And now I think, well, yeah, if that's like your soulmate or you're the person you're destined to be with or, or, or someone who's just really clearly the one, well, absolutely, you should probably give up just about everything. <laughs> you know, in order to be, so, so that happened. I remember once I was at a Subway sandwich shop and Kelly Clarkson's Miss Independent was playing. And I started tearing up. It's like, what is even going on here? <laughs> what is happening right now? I think I was realized, like, if, if you're listening to the lyrics, you, you hear story arc. And it's about, like, that kind of a transformation. There is someone who is all about career, being independent, taking care of business, winning. And then she came to realize, oh, there's something else that's even more important. So yeah, I think that what you say about things being a moving target is dead on in terms of there's a time and a place. And Ramit Sethi talks about this too, in terms of like, there's a season where it's like growth, baby, 
bring it on more, 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 more. I want the biggest, toughest, hardest challenge and I'm just going to pour myself into, into work or whatever. And then there's a time where that season is, is no longer suiting you. And it might come back a little later. That's the game. First of all, can I just say that I love that you started that whole section of the conversation with Boy Meets World? Oh, you may. <laughs> <laughs> and, and second of all, I think that there is this stigma, at least in much of North America and some areas of, of Europe, too. But there's there's this stigma that it's not OK to change or that one way is the right way or hey, the direction that we keep going. Yeah. We don't like our, our politicians flip flopping. We don't like quitters or flip floppers. <laughs> nope. No quitters. Yes. And so interestingly enough, the main reason that I have this company now is because I quit and went from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the point where I've had, we counted it up the other day. I've had in the last 20 or so years, I've had 28 different roles and all of that set of experience of being able to go through many, many different things came from quitting. And actually for me personally, I felt a long time like that was an inadequacy in so many different ways, because as soon as it felt like as soon as things got really hard or uh, whatever, then I would get bored and then I'd run off to the next thing. And although there was some level of truth to that, that wasn't necessarily the, the full reason, but that's the story that I was saying in my head for myself. And it was furthered by the fact that that is the message that we unintentionally put out in society. So when it comes to clarity, we said one way we get there is we declare the priorities and then act in alignment with them. What are some of your other favorite questions, practices, exploratory activities that can yield oodles of insight for the time we spend doing them? So first of all, let me give you a, a high level overview of the process we often use with our clients. And the reason that we do this is I mentioned earlier that it's really difficult to be able to separate out your career from other things. When you plug yourself in, if you think about like plugging yourself into a particular career choice, whether that's the people that you work with, whether that's the organization that you've said yes to for a job opportunity, whether that is whatever you're getting paid, all of those things impact other areas of your life from your schedule to the pressures that you feel or don't feel to everything else. So it becomes really important that we're looking at all of these things as a whole. So I wanted to be able to say that first, and that'll give you some insight as to why we often are approaching activities that appear to be more holistic or addressing other areas of your life, even though we often focus on career. So one of those things is initially we try to help people create what we call an ideal career profile. And really just think about that as literally what it sounds like. It's a profile of what makes up your ideal career. Now, when I say that, often people are thinking about occupation and I'm not talking about occupation. I'm talking about things like how are you utilizing your strengths within your work opportunities? What amount of money do you need to make in order to satisfy your other goals that maybe aren't even financially related? Who are the types of people that you want to spend your time around knowing that uh, the choice that you make and plug into is going to impact who you spend your time with? So starting out, we put together that ideal career profile, and I'll give you a few questions here momentarily, but then what we're going to do with it is we're going to take that profile, which is an educated guess, and then we're going to test it out. The reason we test it out is... Generally, we find that when people come to us and they're wanting to make some kind of career change and they're wanting to move to a better situation, a more ideal situation, then they also are simultaneously not wanting to take significant risks because a lot of times they are not fresh out of college, if you will, mm -hmm. necessarily. A lot of times they may have already determined that the career that I have pursued is no longer a fit in one way or another. So... There is an aversion to risk. And one of the ways that we can avoid risk while still getting wonderful input is by creating a, a small series of experiments 
in order to determine, is that hypothesis, that ideal career profile, actually the right direction? Am I getting some road signs indicating that I am, in fact, heading the right direction for me versus just making another career change or going back to school or putting all the time and effort in only to realize that the names and the faces have changed, but it's the exact same situation. So that's no good for anybody. So here's a couple things that we do specifically. Number one, if we're evaluating strengths, let's say, let's take that as an area. One question that is my favorite, and maybe you can answer this too, we can answer it together. What do you find yourself gravitating to that isn't actually a part of your job, but shows up over and over again? Is that I'm supposed to be doing these spreadsheets and these financial projections, but I find myself wandering the halls and, you know, going and asking my neighbor what they were barbecuing the other day because uh, I'm fascinated about what, uh, what other people eat. Whatever it is, what do you find yourself doing over and over again? That'll give clues or indications, especially if it's not a part of your paid role. Mm-hmm. And what I find is that as you dig into that type of question, often you start to observe some patterns. So let me ask you that really quick. When you think about your past opportunities, roles, paid, unpaid, whatever else, what did you keep gravitating towards, Pete, that really didn't have much to do with mm-hmm. what you were supposed to be doing at the time? Well, what's funny is I I'm thinking about consulting back in the day, I really loved recruiting, which was part of all of us were supposed to have a part of recruiting. But I I really loved being able to go to a a career fair, to being able to do case interviews or help people prepare for their case interviews. I see where this is going. Or just that more, more people-y stuff. Like if there was an intern, I got to be play manager just a little bit with a fresh intern. Uh, I thought that was, that was really cool in terms of helping them learn stuff. (laughs) And so I, I was having fun with that. For sure. And I think I also learned this isn't just about skills or strengths, but just the environment. I remember once I was so excited to be able to take a trip by myself to Kansas City, where where some very hallowed terminals where I could access some some data that was, I guess, air gapped from the cloud to to go there and get the data. And I was really stoked about this trip. I thought, that's kind of weird. I'm, I'm traveling somewhere alone to do a fairly manual, repetitive task. And and I'm stoked about it. And what I was stoked about was the autonomy in terms mm. of, you know what, I can eat what I want, when I want, when I don't have to check in with the whole team. Like, hey, so you're, you're going to do lunch? Oh, okay. We're going to wait. Okay. We're going to wait for the senior people because they want to eat with us, but they're not ready to eat yet. So we're just going to wait some more, but I really want to <laughs> eat now, but I can't eat now. So... We don't know how long this is going to take, but it might be four minutes, might be 40 minutes. Hungry now. <laughs> you know, it, it's so funny. So, so like, I don't know, but being able to choose yeah. when and what I eat yeah. during my work day felt very exciting. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of fascinating because now you have, in some ways, the ultimate set of choices. Yeah. So I like the autonomy and I like the people development. And go figure. Here I am in a very autonomous role doing a lot of people development. I am so shocked. So shocked. (laughs) Uh, And by that, I mean, not shocked at all. But I think that that is, that's just one of many questions. And what I find is that none of these questions yield the ultimate answer. None of the questions yield the quote unquote magic bullet or the magic pill or whatever, but they do all give clues. And those clues lead to ahas, those clues lead to being able to understand yourself and what you need in a different way. And what I find is that a better way to think about uncovering the right type of career or career fit for you, which may not be occupational, it might be about the environment, it might be about some of those other areas I mentioned earlier, is to think about it more as a CSI or uh, detective type of approach where you find one clue that helps you get a little further along, but it leads to another clue, which leads to another clue, which leads to another clue. And eventually we solve some version of the case, which then leads to a new case. And that is a much, much better analogy for how to think about your career in a, in a healthy way where it's going to continue to evolve. It's going to uh, continue to change. And just because you climbed up the mountain in one way or another doesn't necessarily mean it's over. It's an ongoing 
living, breathing set of decisions. And for, for some people that can feel a little bit scary, but I think that it can also be really, really empowering because take your example here. Like you probably, if we talked 20 years ago, would you have known all of those? Well, I need people development and I need autonomy and everything else. I'm, I'm guessing probably. Mm, no, not. No, I might have some clues. Yeah. In terms of, I really have a lot of fun when I'm speaking to groups. Mm-hmm. And so that's true. I do. But the topic makes all the difference. Oh, really? If I were talking, uh, well, yeah. I mean, if I were talking about how to use uh, a software program, yeah. I mean, that might be moderately energizing for me. But if I were talking about you know, do this and you're going to be way more productive and happy with your, with your work, that's way more exciting for me to be talking about. I agree. Yeah. Me too. Mm-hmm. I can only get so far. So topic for me makes a massive difference as well. But for some other people, it might just be about the act. Yeah. For some other people, it might be about who they're talking to. And for still other people, it might be about, am I getting to speak with people one-on-one versus large groups versus communities of people versus any other way that you might slice that up? Certainly. Or folks, or I think about the, the nature of the impact. Like, are you talking to, I'm just helping rich people get richer. And that really bothers you versus you don't care at all. That doesn't bother you at all. It doesn't even occur to you <laughs> versus, oh, I'm really helping disadvantaged communities or, or, or whatever. So the who could be, an, or it's sort of like they're elite students who are really engaged and, and fired up and with it and challenging. Like that's exciting. Or they are very much not elite students who like really need your help and you feel a, a great sense of purpose for having assisted them and really met them and made a difference that you you feel more palpable. So so yeah, that who I think has all kinds of angles and and flavors that provide cool clues right there. Well, the important part is finding the right flavor for you because mm-hmm. I mean, in the book, we talk about what we call the seven seven keys to fulfillment in their areas that create more or less fulfilling careers or feelings of fulfillment. However, if you're talking about, you know, the, the who or how you work with people, you know, is it in a one-on-one format versus large group format? It's very different from a person to person basis and finding that right variety, that right recipe is also very, very different from person to person. So I think that to go back to, say, how you contribute to others, as an example, the important part there is not just who you're helping, but if we look at all of the the data and the research, the real question is, are you helping people in a way that feels like you are helping people. I know that sounds a little bit weird, but because mm. arguably any any job in the world is probably helping. Like we make a case that it's helping people. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you are at a movie theater, you are a VP of finance, you are you know taking out the trash. Like in some way or another, it's helping people. But yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean that it feels like, and you can see a direct connection between how you're helping other people, and that's the real key. So finding out how it feels, the right type of how for you is really what we're after here. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Well, Scott, well, we could talk for hours about this, but uh, <laughs> I want to hear, tell me, any top do's or don'ts we absolutely must hear from you before we shift gears and hear about your favorite things? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the number one do is run towards something. So many people are running away from something, running away from a not great boss, running away from a a situation that doesn't feel like a great fit, but they haven't actually taken the time to figure out what it is that they actually want. So to be able to run to something, you really have to take the time, effort, energy to identify all of the areas and all of the pieces and parts that make up your ideal. Otherwise, that's going to be impossible. You won't be able to run to something. And the disadvantage, if you're running away from something and not towards something that's clearly defined, is you're automatically going to be settling by default. So 
run to something. That's number one. And then number two, experiment. We, we briefly mentioned experimenting or the idea of experimentation. However, I think that's so critical as it relates to your career because it takes all of the risk, or at least most of the risk and perceived risk out of the equation. So, so many people don't career change because they're like, well, it feels so risky. And in some ways it is. However, if you take small steps and a small amount of work to validate that you're heading the right direction through a well-crafted experiment that doesn't even have to take a significant period of time, then once you get those road signs indicating that you are heading the right direction, then it can reduce a significant amount of that risk. So I think that's, that's thing number two. That's good. Now, well-crafted experiment, can you give us a couple quick examples of what that might look, sound, feel like? Yeah, yeah. We have helped people craft hundreds of different types of experiments, but there are some that are more common than than others. And I'll give you I'll give you a couple just really quick examples. One is the social Goldilocks, another is what we call the volunteer, another is the paid researcher. So the volunteer is what it sounds like, where you're actually volunteering your time or energy either with another organization or even potentially inside your organization. And that's where we might move into the paid researcher. Now, the benefits of doing either of those are getting to trial out the work without necessarily a full-time commitment and understanding get feedback from that experience about whether or not you're heading the right direction. Now, the side benefit from that, and I think this is part of what makes up a well-crafted experiment, in my opinion, is it's not just for the feedback, but a well-crafted experiment also allows you to experience multiple benefits, which, quick example, we had a person we were working with, her name was Stephanie, and she volunteered at a, at a marketing organization. She thought she might be interested in marketing and volunteered with the, a local chapter of a marketing organization, met a lot of people, and two things ended up coming from that. One, she was able to land a copywriting gig, a small contract-based copywriting gig that didn't take a lot of her time, but allowed her to experiment in a paid way. And that's what we call the paid researcher. That's one way you can do the paid researcher. And the other side benefit from that was she discovered she really didn't like marketing by, by volunteering for that particular organization. So she eliminated an entire area that she suspected that she wanted to move into. And instead, another area she was exploring at the same time was organizational communications. And some of the connections that she had made through that marketing organization ended up causing her to be introduced to other people that led to communications type of experiences. So there's a quick couple examples. Social Goldilocks, I mentioned that one at the beginning. That's the idea of, well, you're familiar with Goldilocks, of course, mm -hmm. like this chair is too big, this porridge is too cold, too hot, this corner office is too large, whatever. But the idea of the social Goldilocks, instead of doing what people call informational interviews, how can you identify either roles or organizations or other types of opportunities that might be a good fit and go talk to people in those roles or in those organizations for relatively short periods of time, even as little as 10 or 15 minutes and learn about what makes them enjoy the role, what they think are relevant experiences to be successful in that role, learn about what they love about their organization, what they don't love about their organization. And the idea here is not just the interaction itself, but that you can string together many different types of interactions with, you know, say 10 or 15 or 20 people in a relatively short period of time. And then you have a set of feedback where you can start making decisions from. Should I dive further into this strategy type role that I suspected that I love? And now I've talked to three different people and I'm getting similar feedback. And I think that it might be worth diving further in. So these are all really quick examples of ways to do two things, get that feedback and simultaneously build relationships at the same time, which at this point, we don't have very many computers hiring people. It does happen occasionally, but for the most part, it's still people that hire people and make those, those hiring decisions. So relationships are critical when it comes to that. So there's a, there's a few different examples. All right. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? 
This one gets attributed to Da Vinci a lot of the time. And it's, I'm assuming it was not originally in English, but the the English translation uh, comes out to be something that I often observed that people of accomplishment rarely sat back and allowed things to happen. Instead, they went and happened to them. Mm -hmm. And it, although it gets attributed to Da Vinci, I believe it actually, as near as I can tell, comes from Da Vinci's mentor. And Da Vinci ended up repeating it many, many times, Mm -hmm. and it's in some of his books. All right. And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? There is a huge body of work around strengths and what Martin Seligman originally called signature strengths now. And so this is not one particular set of research, but the body as a whole is really expanded over the last 30 years. And it is fascinating when you get to spend as little as one or two more hours a day working in your strengths and operating in your strengths. There's so many benefits from smiling more in a given day, all the way to being more productive, to having health benefits or being able to avoid health risks. So that's fascinating to me personally. And it's, it's really interesting some of the links that have nothing to do with what people perceive to be strengths. And in some cases, nothing to do with what people perceive work, but that impact overall quality of life when you spend very small amounts of time more comparatively to what you might be right now focusing on areas that fit your strengths. So that's, that's my favorite body of research as a whole. Okay. And a favorite book? Here's one book that changed my mind on quite a few different things. It's called 80-20 Sales and Marketing. Oh, yeah. Perry Marshall was about on the show. Yeah, Perry Marshall. Okay, so this was useful even though, even if you care not about sales and marketing whatsoever. The idea behind 80-20 and something that tipped me off to a different idea that I don't think was said in that book, but it sparked a lot of things for me because at the the quick bit of 80-20, where it originally comes from, and now it's pretty popularized, I would say, but the Pareto principle is another thing that it's called, where the idea of you know having 20% of the inputs produce 80% of the outputs. So Pareto saw that when he was <laughs> raising peas way back when. He noticed that you know some of the pea pods on certain pea plants had very few peas, and on 20% of the plants, they actually had roughly 80%. They produced 80% of the peas. And he started observing this all over the place in nature, this natural phenomenon. However, what doesn't get talked about that the book turned me on to is if you take that top 20%, it has its own top 20%, the 4% that produces 64% of the results. So that idea is fascinating to me. And I've spent the last almost seven, eight years really trying to figure out what is the 4% that really moves the needle so that you can just let the rest go in so many different areas of life. Mm -hmm. And a favorite tool, something you used to be awesome at your job. Superhuman, which you turned me on to. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Love Superhuman. We have it for almost my entire team now. Yeah. Are you still using it? I am. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for that. Like life-changing in so many different ways. Whole different way to do email. All right. And a favorite habit? I think my favorite habit recently is fasting till afternoon. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I've tried that and really didn't like it. <laughs> well, it's not for everyone. Glad it's working for uh, you. <laughs> and I, I didn't really like it until maybe, I don't know, probably after a month in. And then now it's, it's actually become a wonderful thing that adds energy, uh, where the first probably two weeks, I'm like, this is terrible. Who would, who would do this? <laughs> so not for everyone, but that's my current favorite habit. All right. And is there a key nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back to you often. The idea of identifying what you want so that you can then go and ask for what you want. And I find that people who ask for what they want are very often more frequently getting what they want. So that really simple concept has changed my life in so many different ways, which means that I always need to have ownership and understanding around where, not just where I'm running to, which we mentioned earlier, but what it is that I in fact want and what's great for me and my highest priorities, which we mentioned clarity earlier too. And it all ties back to that. All right. And if folks want to connect or hear more about you, where should they go? 
Well, certainly happentoyourcareer.com. And we have, of course, a podcast by the same name, Happen to Your Career, in all the places where podcasts are, are played. So certainly over there. But I, I think that for people that really want to get started in figuring out what could be in a next amazing step, what extraordinary could look like, and utilizing much of the concepts that we, we just talked about, go to figureitout.co, figureitout.co, C-O, where you get a opportunity to sign up for a eight-day email course where we send you an email each day, and it asks you a few questions that will begin to allow you to figure out what truly is your, your north, what is your compass. We've had almost 50,000 people at this point through that particular course, and we've got so many so many people sending emails and feedback over the years that it's, it's helped them get started in figuring out what they want. All right, Scott, this has been a treat. I wish you much luck and fun and success as you're happening to your career. I appreciate it. I love so much of Scott's wisdom, particularly the notion of those experiments, ways that you can get some insight risk-free before you go do something you regret (laughs) and then iterate and zoom in on what specifically is doing the trick and not doing the trick and in so doing, getting all the wiser input into making great decisions. Good advice for career change and just about anything that's new you're exploring. Again, the show notes and transcript and links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP818. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. (laughs) Auto Trader.